Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I'm with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. It's our weekly Thursday edition of the Baseball America Pros- Prospect Handbook podcast. Yay! That's right. We just call it the Baseball America Yay podcast. It might catch on. Uh, we will uh, be sponsored today by uh, SeatGeek. We'll talk a little SeatGeek later in the day. And we're going to talk a lot of different subjects today. Spring training. Might touch on some draft. Some hot takes on Bryce Harper and Goose Gossage making some news we, today. We are not the place you come for hot takes, but we will discuss it in a coherent and logical way. They, they're the hot take. Uh, they had hot takes today, and a lot of people had hot takes off their hot takes. We'll talk a little Cardinals shortstop conundrum. What do they do after Johnny Peralta? And, uh, of course, as always, you can reach us uh, for this podcast or for the next one, but mostly for the next one, um, on Twitter. He's at jjcoop 36 I'm a John Manuel BA. We also do have an email from our longtime podcast listener, Reggie, down in Beaumont, Texas. He hey, emailed Reggie. us a podcast at baseballamerica.com. So we'll get to Reggie's podcast uh, question later, but that's a podcast at baseballamerica.com. JJ, let's start right off by uh, both of us were taken with Bryce Harper's comments today um, in a Tim Cowan story. Yeah, in a Tim Cowan story that was in ESPN the magazine. Uh, we're basically, he said, there are people who think that base, uh, that, that baseball is tired. And I think mostly he was talking about the unwritten rules are tired in baseball. And the lack of ability to celebrate in baseball is tired. And that baseball's la- uh, disdain for players showing emotion and passion uh, on the field is tiresome Especially- to him. And also out of step with the times is what he strongly implied. I would say even more than showing a, a passion is the unwritten rule in baseball, the quote unwritten rule that is enforced zealously by some of the veterans of the game, is that, it is that any celebration, any emotion, that in any possible way can be construed as, quote, showing up an opponent is to be beaten down and flogged and eliminated from the game immediately. Is that a fair way to put it? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a strong way to put it, but yeah, I mean, like, really, we, we, wanna, we want you to, you're going to play you the game the right fist. way. No one, you can pump your fist as you hit the game-winning home run in the World Series, but the pumping of the fist is not showing up. If you stare and admire it because you just hit the game-winning home run, right? or if you show emotion because you flip your bat, well, then you have now wounded the pitcher in a way that deserves a 95-mile-an-hour fastball to the ribs to retaliate. It's definitely, um, it's really interesting, and we'll talk about Goose Gossage's response to this today, which also got some play. But, J.J., you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm of two minds. I really do think that I'm of the opinion that those unwritten rules are basically, I mean, th- this is this is super hot takey. I don't even mean for it to be hot takey. I really think it's just sociological in its roots. And I think it's just from a time when the game was whiter, mm-hmm. period. And, and it was a more... way to keep players who weren't white playing the game the way the white players played it. And I do think it's unconscious. It wasn't, it's not it's, conscious. Think... It's not modern players don't know. When, the, when Brian McCann yells at Jose Fernandez when he hit that home run two years ago, don't pimp and all that stuff. That had that was no racial element He's to that at all. He's not thinking. Wait, in the 1940s, exactly. this was used. 1950s, this was used Correct. to keep you know to basically suppress what players had done in the Negro Leagues. I mean, right. the reality of it is, is that or in Latin America, right? That's the that's the thing about this is that when you say play the game the traditional way, what you're really only saying that the only if you look around, Japan is kind of its own unique. Situation. Yeah. It's a whole different culture. So, but, but but Korea, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Cuba, right, and all of those places, what in the U.S. often in Major League Baseball gets a strong response is something that the best way I can put it is is that the player who was quote shown up takes no offense. I mean, in Korea, and, and it seems they, unique to baseball to be totally honest with you because. Basketball, okay, the ba- basketball in the especially in the ABA era, that's when it really got to be a very flashy fun sport, game. right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's true. That's if, anyone fun. ever go, ooh, you know what? I want to watch some more 1960s basketball. And, that's that's and the, basketball has such a pickup game element to it. A it's a one on one where yeah, I'm going to try to beat you. You're going to try to beat me. Yes, 
Um, so there's so that, but 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 that started along. But I'm just thinking the ultimate '60s black and white football play that I can think of is Chuck Bednarik, right? Destroying the, Frank destroying Gifford. Frank Gifford, and then and celebrating like crazy, like punching the air on the field right there. And there's nothing that shows up another athlete. That they? I can think of. Then Chuck Bednarik just planted babyface Frank Gifford, who was the face of the New York Giants franchise, already had all kinds of ads, and was he, a public face for football, and Chuck Bednarik destroyed him, and he celebrates right over him. And that was as 1960. As, as, as at the time, and we don't know at that point, as he's celebrating, you don't know if Frank Gifford's dead or not. Right. I mean, it's not like, oh, he got him good, and Gifford, I mean, he's like severely injured, and that's, you know, just part of what was going on. So to me, showing up, celebrating and showing up the other team has been part of pro sports for a long time. I never thought it was really the intent to show up, but I didn't think I don't even I don't think there's one element of what Jose Batista did last year or what Bryce now Bryce Harper sometimes does show up the other team. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. We, no, this has gone back to when we we you can find I, I'm not gonna spend the time to research it right now. We had a podcast where me and you were talking about Bryce Harper. At junior, when Bryce Harper was in junior college, yeah. These oh, things. don't forget when uh, Baseball Prospectus, when Kevin Goldstein was there, now with the Houston Astros, or an entire article before the draft, just crushing Bryce Harper's makeup. But it was based on a lot of this kind of behavior, behavior that was not seen, it was seen as disrespectful of opponents and the capital G game. There's Which, no doubt that was a narrative, just like now, just like this year, talking to a scout about the draft. And Kyle Funkhauser is struggling. And one of the scouts I talked to said, oh, there's not a lot of people in the industry rooting for Kyle Funkhauser. He was a 35th overall pick. He turned down $2 million plus dollars for the Dodgers. And he's a Boris client. And there's some people in the game who just don't like Boris. Some people do. I think there are some teams that obviously have a good relationship with Boris Corporation, but there's some that don't. And that, he said well, there, are some, there are a lot of people around the game rooting for that guy to have a 7 ERA. And in 2010, there were a lot of people in the game who were rooting for Bryce Harper to be a big, fat failure, to be a big fraud, and to not come through. One of the reasons was because of the way he played. And it's still an issue here six years later. And the thing about it is, though, is we were talking about this before the podcast. Bryce Harper is making these comments now, and he has... Notice he when he waited to do this. Yeah. He waited till he has the gravitas, the standing to do it. Because coming off the year he had last year, he's no longer... Bryce Harper, promising young star. He's right. no longer Bryce Harper, potentially the next big star in baseball. He can legitimately say what he wants to say now and do it as one of the best players in the game. One of the, the reality is, is it gives him a standing to say this. And to be honest, and the funny thing is, is I do think that there's less blowback on this than people think, you know, because I think that actually most baseball fans, I'm not saying all by any stretch. I'm not talking about players. I'm sure that there are players who, there are some players who will take offense to this. But I think most baseball fans, especially if you're a fan of the game, I don't even know what the cutoff age is. But if you are a fan of the game like I am, who, especially, I have, you know, you have kids, you have a son who already is yeah. bought in. Yeah, yeah. I have that, to, that said, he, he he has trouble watching a game. He has trouble sitting through a game, in person or on TV, because of the pace. And he loves it. He knows our Hall of Fame almanac. He's in, but it's still hard for him to watch. And I have two daughters who, they're not in yet. And I will tell you right now, guys doing what... I, I think back always to, like, I love, like, Adrian Beltre... And Felix Hernandez going at each other when one of them's in the dugout, you know, and yeah. and they're basically just going back at each other and all. Which I know no other way to put it, but that's one of the great things about baseball in Latin America. It's fun, right? That's, that's right. one of the great things about the World Baseball Classic. That's one of the great things about winter ball is that there's no other way to put it. It's more fun. Yeah, there's a, it's a little bit more emotional and and in a good way. And it is in a good way. And the one common thread. With all those things, I come back to this, JJ. <laughs> the separating factor in American baseball is the grind. And it is easier to navigate 162 games if you're not on this emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, a truism 
But that said, how many players have tried to navigate it, getting up for every game and celebrating every game? So, but the thing I know that there's is, so and much... most times you're not. I mean, like, but the same time, though, a bat flip, like in Korea, yes, you save your premium bat flip <laughs> for a key game. I hate to see that Bill Ho Park has decided I am now done with bat flips. But that's a shame. I want to see some Bill Ho bat flips. In Korea, if you hit a home run and you don't have your normal bat flip on that, it's it's. I think the pitcher yells at you as you go to first base. What? Why? You know? Why did you not flip right. your bat? It's an expected part of the game, and that doesn't take. I mean, I don't think that that means that you're going to ride an emotional low because you're worn out because you. There's so much of this that the reality is, is part of it is, is it's a 162 game grind, and so you actually are going to be more focused and more in it. If sometimes you get into these little, Bryce Harper made a great quote where he said like. Loves facing Jose Jose Fernandez, who, by the way, faced the same. Oh, absolutely. When Jose Fernandez More was in the so. FSL, I mean, the the biggest knock that I heard doing the FSL Top 20 was not about anything about Jose Fernandez pitches. That it, stuff's coming back on him. Right. There was this thought that Jose Fernandez was a fraud because there was too much flash, too much emotion. He had a cheering, you know, he was playing in Florida, and yeah. his family was from Florida, so you had these crowd of of friends and family who were there, and they'd celebrate every strikeout and all that. And there was kind of a small contingent of, oh, he's going to flame out because of that. Right. Bryce Harper talked about it. Hey, if he faces Jose Fernandez, there's a little bit of extra there because he knows Jose Fernandez is like, oh, this is Bryce Harper. I'm going to strike him right. out. And he's Bryce Harper, and he goes, this is Jose Fernandez. I'm going to take him deep. And both of them, the great thing about this is, is that if everyone did this, there wouldn't be a problem, which is, is Jose Fernandez, if Bryce Harper hits a ball 500 feet off of him, and Bryce Harper stands there until the ball lands... JJ's acting it out, by the I'm way, for those it out. the podcast. You know, yeah. <laughs> and he's standing there until it lands. We should do the video podcast. We thing. should. But if he's standing there till it lands, Jose Fernandez isn't drilling him the next time up. Correct. Jose Fernandez that is, is going to try to strike him out the next time, and if he strikes him out... He may pump his fist and he may stare at Bryce Harper till he goes to the dugout. That's right. No harm done there. Correct. It's actually, That's actually more entertaining. And you know what? That will then be the highlight on the next day's on the next day from the game. That'll be a highlight, and that is something that if I'm a fledgling fan, that's going to interest me. Yeah, I mean, much more than oh, look at that nice six four three double play. And I don't think it's a sign of the times that oh, we need that in 2016. We, baseball needed that 40 years ago, you know? I mean, like, the, the sport was, quote-unquote, tired, to use Bryce Harper's phrase. 40 years ago, it started falling behind the times in this regard, if you ask me. And the thing about this is that what's great about it is he said, the reality of it is, is this is the game that we are now in. I do think that, I mean, you look at Bryce Harper, Jose Fernandez, you have Manny said, Machado. You right. have guys who right now are some of the young stars of the game. What Carlos, exactly, Gomez. Exactly Carlos Gomez does not play a boring game. Right. No, and, and Carlos Gomez, definitely on my short list of favorite players to watch. Um, the way that he put it is that last year Harper suggested to reporters that baseball's code is tired, the way that uh, Tim Cowan put it, which uh, this was after the Papelbon Machado mm-hmm. dust-up, which... Um, you know, we know which side Harper was on at that time. It was the Manny Machado side. <laughs> and we know which um, side Papelbaum was on as he... And I'll say, wrote, and I'll say, I love Manny Machado. He's had several incidents in his career where it's not even so much that he plays with exuberance, but he has like a little, he doesn't seem like he's handled adversity great. Mm-hmm. Or when player, when people throw at him, he definitely has zero time for that. And he's not retal, the best way to retaliate is the, Bryce the, the 500 foot home run, you know, and I mean, remember Harper hitting that monster shot in San Francisco, and then just losing his, losing his mind in the dugout. I remember thinking, I loved the way they hit the home run. I loved how he went around the bases so fast and uh, enjoyed it. I loved that he was screaming. And then I remember thinking in the dugout, he took it a little too far. You know, I just remember thinking he could have just chilled just a little bit. Manny Machado has a little bit of that. He's had that issue. So who am I to judge what's right or what's wrong? I mean, it's, it, it, you know, who handles it better than others? Uh, I realize it's totally going to be, uh, you know, an individual person's call. But where Bryce Harper says that the reason that he says it's tired is because you can't express yourself. 
You can't do other people in other what people in other sports do. I'm not saying baseball is you know boring or anything like that, but that's the excitement of the young guys who are coming into the game now who have that flair. It isn't even so much the young guys. I mean, Jimmy Rollins had that flair, and he's 37 now, 38, whatever he is. But the P, it's the fact that when young players for the last 20 or 30 years, Dennis Eckersley was a big deal. 40 years ago, came in with flair. People didn't beat it out of him, but they sure as hell tried. And that's the, it's not so much that they, that they haven't come in with flair before, and how they get a beat out of them. And but the game is, now- is so young now, JJ, and all the best stars in the game are young. I do think we're going to see a shift in it, because whether Bryce Harper, Goose Gossip wants this, to see it or not. You're not beating it out of Bryce Harper, because one, right. one, this is the way Bryce Harper is. This is the way he, the way he's played since he was 12. Right. And two, he's too good, too soon. No one's going to stop. There's it. no one out there now who can say, "Now listen, put his hand over his shoulder, say you don't play that way," and carries where Bryce Harper says, "Well, I can't because I have to listen." Who in that he? Jonathan Papelbon is not the enforcer right. of the code in the Nationals clubhouse as much as he may want to be. Right. I do find it amazing. Like, and I think the, re- the retaliation that an older school fan would want is, well, yeah, he can do all that he wants until someone drills him in the ribs. But you're, what you're always afraid of is someone drilling him and get, trying to drill but, him and getting, and getting away and you having a Ben Christensen but again, situation. I, I'll go back to, no. Right. The uh, way to get at, back at him is, is that, you know what, he has said... Basically, he is saying, strike him out, and you know what? If you want to do, you know, not just tip your cap, but if you want to do a bow and arrow, That's or right. you want to do, you know, basically... Henry Mejia, in honor of Henry Mejia being out of the game, yeah. I'm going to do his wrestling move. You know, whatever <laughs> it is, Bryce Harper is saying, and again, this is the thing that I don't understand, is if someone, I don't get it if you basically are, I'm going to celebrate, but you can't. But if you're both ways on it, if you're like, hey... I'm not going to try to spike you when right. next time you're covering first if you celebrate a strikeout on me right. the same way that you don't throw in on me when I hit a home run and actually watch it fly a little bit, which, by the way, even the best guys only hit 40 of these a year. Yeah, yeah exactly. let's enjoy it a little bit. If all that goes together, the game's better, and there is no, hey, there's no need to be headhunting. The headhunting, and again, I understand also that is part of the game, and that's part of the game universally, Yeah, but... That's for, the reality of it is, is, and yes, he wasn't trying to throw him whatever. That's for the next time that Chase Utley comes into a game right. and you say, you know what, we have to enforce the fact that you went out of your way to injure our player. I'm not a big head-hugging fan in any, in any way, but shape, ri- or form. I'm talking about ribs, you know, like Right, yeah. yeah. I, could, I see hitting a person on purpose, but even then, the pitcher's throwing so much harder now than they did back it's then. It's scary. It is scary, and that's the bottom line. I know everyone talks about oh, Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale. You can't tell me those guys threw as hard as they do now. Not consistently. The other amazing thing about Bob Gibson as some enforcer when he pitched, and, and a guy who was definitely all about the code when he pitched, mm-hmm. and you couldn't show him up and all that stuff, the dude played for the Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's really kind of ridiculous in, in, in retrospect that this is the guy who was the enforcer. I mean, but, I don't mean to, be, just to besmirch Omaha's finest. I respect it. I mean, he's a little bit before my time. But, but he played for the Globetrotters, and he was an enforcer. I don't buy that. But what I come back to, though, is, is that I also think that it is good for the game to have a Jose Bautista, a Bryce Harper, who they're also, which is rare nowadays, these are stars who are quite willing to actually say what they're thinking. Correct. As opposed to, no, 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 that may tarnish my brand. And I'm, a, not, a, I'm not faulting the people. That's a great point. I'm not faulting the Derek Jeters of the world in any way. I, mean, I think Jose Batista may have damaged his brand by his incessant following of everyone involved with baseball on Twitter. But I'm just kidding. But but Derek Jeter on the square. But Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter's approach, which I know that you know, hey, it's it's worth. I'm I'm not saying it's a bad approach, but Derek Jeter, face of the game, pretty much his approach was is that the only thing you were ever going to talk about with Derek Jeter that he wanted to be talked about was. Derek Jeter had a nice game tonight. Right. And that's not a bad thing. But the reality is, is baseball does need to always have some guys who it's more than that. Like, I mean, Reggie Jackson was great for the game. Again, and I know that there are people thinking, you know, yes, Reggie Jackson's ego could not fit in Yankee Stadium. That being said. He was a straw that stirred the drink. But that being said, he was someone who made people talk about the game. And And maybe maybe I'm being... 
Well, let's let's face it, JJ. Who, if you were, would Major League Baseball be healthier and more popular if Jose Fernandez and Bryce Harper switched markets and those guys were in LA as the top stars in Los Angeles instead of Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw? I mean, Bob Costas at the All Star Game two years ago sat down with Kershaw and Trout, and it was worse than pulling teeth. Those guys, Again, and I'm not criticizing those guys. That's who they are. Guys. That's fine. That's, exactly. I, I don't want anyone to fake a personality that you don't have. Exactly. And, and there is laudatory that both of those guys probably everything Completely agree. Is, Could not say it any better. That is laudatory. Those are laudatory. They, they sound like laudatory human beings, especially Kershaw. All the charity work that he and his wife have done, the orphanage they have in Africa, the work ethic of both those players, the improved physicality, their sheer brilliance. I love those guys. But you can't tell me that it wouldn't be better for baseball if those guys just had a smidge of personality. And like you said, don't fake it. But but Bryce Harper's Harper, not faking this but either. But if Harper and Fernandez were in L.A. and on teams that were in the playoffs every year or every other year in the Angels' case, you know, they would be a, they would be bigger stars. They'd be a bigger deal than Trout and Kershaw are. And that, that being said. Bryce Harper is getting there right now already, and that's without a playoff. That's without a. That's right. That's without many playoff moments. And yet. Jose Batista was a great player before last year, but people know in the game Jose Batista now has got a bigger platform now. Even yesterday, he just tweeted. So we're pretty geeked in this area. I'm actually from Fayetteville, North Carolina. The fact that Major League Baseball will play a game just outside of Fayetteville at Fort Bragg, July 3rd, and play the first ever Major League Baseball game in the state of North Carolina. I'll be provincial for a minute. I'm stoked. We're geeked about We're that. It's going to be really cool. I love that Jose Batista tweeted all these talks about hosting MLB games in great places, and I haven't heard the DR once. Don't we have a few Dominicans in the majors? I mean, good That's for a great him. Point. He's right. You know what? There should be. I mean, I know. Hey, good for because, Jose Batista. Because here's the thing. What we've now established with this is that you can do it. it the, the lack of a ballpark is not a... An overriding an concern. That's right. Because before it was no, no. We can play in Port in in San Juan because we have a stadium we can fix up. We can play in Mexico City. You know these kind of things. But we can't. You know before the answer would have been, but there's not a stadium in the Dominican right. that is upfitted to the standards we need. Well, okay, they're actually starting from scratch here, right, in North Carolina. And they're building that temporary facility on a uh, failed, well, not failed, but a former golf course. That shut down six years ago, which it's kind of fun if you look around the internet for like what happened to some of these uh, golf courses that have gone back to their wild state, like in Myrtle Beach that closed and this kind of stuff. Some of those are kind of fun to read about. But Willow Lake is the name of the golf course uh, down at Pope Air Force Base. And the, yeah, it gonna, it's a pretty neat move by the Union and Major League Baseball to build this. They're building a field. The field will turn into a softball field for the soldiers afterwards, building a temporary 12,500-seat uh, ballpark there. But just for the defense department personnel. We need to have right. a game in the Dominican after that. I, I'm, I just think that's a great point by jo- Jose Batista, and we, he's got I mean, more we've, of we've a game in, We've had a game in Australia. Right. We've had a series in Australia. Right. Where should we have, I mean, again, I understand they're trying to grow the game in Australia and the we're, Dominican, that's not We're going to have another exhibition game in Cuba March 22nd with the Rays right. going to Cuba. We've been in Cuba a couple times. There needs to be... How about in the Dominican, which where basically everybody watched every move of the 2013 World Baseball Classic team when they won it. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Uh, JJ, let's finish this topic and talk a little bit about Goose Gossage, who called Batista a disgrace of the game. We won't even get into him blasting the nerds who run the game these days, but he called him an effing disgrace. Cespit is the same thing, throwing his back and acting like a fool. I mean, again, I just thought that that game last year was so crazy. Was that the same game or just the same series as the Russell Martin throwing the ball back to the pitcher, hits the bat, and Urdeno Dor scores from third base? I can't remember if it's the same game. I know it was the same series. But I mean, it was a hotly contested series. It was an awesome series. It was a great series. It wasn't the maybe the highest level of play, but it was a tense series, well played, some some spectacular mistakes and some spectacular plays, uh, Hall of Fame caliber plays going on all over the place, and this guy uh, had such a moment. And for Jose Batista, a guy who was a Rule Five pick who played at Chipola Junior College, all these things that get to the big leagues and they have that moment. I just thought it was pretty amazing, JJ, that he. Bad flip that people flipped out over it, well, and here we are six months later, and 
Goose Gossip is still an issue. But, but this is—I guess nobody but, asked Goose. But but the thing about it is, is that I, I this I think the Bryce Harper one is leads to a, a, a grander discussion, and I think that that's actually great overall. This one's more of like a get off my lawn. This is a get off my lawn, and this is like I just shrug my shoulder and go, I don't care. I understand <laughs> because here's the thing: this has been going on for over a hundred and twenty-five years in baseball. Everyone, every baseball great thinks that the game after they leave the game. Not everyone, right. but we have examples of players when Ty Cobb is playing who think that <laughs> they make too much money now. And they don't do it, they don't play the game the right way, all those things. Right. I just with that, I kind of go, I understand. I understand that you have this opinion. I thought Jose Bautista's answer to it was great, was I don't agree with his opinion, but he's welcome to have it. Right. But it does it is something where you go, okay, Really, in the world of everything, no big deal. Yeah, does any does this actually sway anyone to view the game differently? Bryce Harper saying it right. was one of the two or three big, biggest stars in the game at this moment saying we need to change the way we play the game changes things to me potentially. I no, I agree. Goose I agree. Gossage, who was great, but whose signature moments literally came thirty five years ago. You're right. That does not change the game. I agree. The bottom line for me is when you hear like um, uh, Mike Vec with this uh, theme of baseball is fun and my, at the minor league level, I don't feel like the fun should be restricted to cowboy monkey rodeo or goofy promotions. I want the players to have fun playing. And I have more fun watching when I think the players are having fun playing. And so I'm all for a little more exuberance, a little bit more emotion in the game, a little more passion being evident I have no problem with it, and I hope that the game goes in that direction. That uh, and, and if Bryce Harper has to pull it, kicking and screaming, I'm all for it. So, JJ, uh, not necessarily easy to. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not easy to get tickets. Now, this is the last year you can get tickets to see Bryce Harper play spring training in Brevard County this year. It's the end of an era, Space Coast Stadium. It, it is last spring training that, time. That, that is a to do perfect that. segue, John, for me to remind you that. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated. They try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I speak for this personally, which is, as we talked about last week on the podcast, I love how SeatGeek yeah. makes it, they do make it very easy. For one thing, there are, you know, when you see the price, it's not you click that price and then you buy it, and then you go, oh, it's another $25, which we've all been there. Oh, what is this service charge? I don't need more service. Just give me the ticket. I don't need additional service. But it's not just that. It's also, I love the fact that SeatGeek will actually tell you, hey, this isn't a good deal. Right. Don't buy this ticket. There's better deals out there. You know, I, I like to see that it's the green. You know, if, you, if I'm clicking on red, I, I'm a cheap guy, to be honest with you. I'm not clicking on the red <laughs> ticket. I'm not going to go, you know what, I need to be in the front row for this. With Alton Brown, I didn't need to be in the front row. We can sit in the balcony, and hey, that's in the green. So that I, I do love the SeatGeek app makes it extremely easy. You can also obviously go to SeatGeek.com, but I, I use the app. And with that, uh, we do want to remind you that Baseball America podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do, download the SeatGeek app, go to the setting tab, click on add a promo code, promo code BA20. You do that. You make a ticket purchase, you get $20 back. It's easy. It's awesome. Go do it. Thank you, SeatGeek. Absolutely. We're very excited to have SeatGeek along with us on the Baseball America podcast. He's J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. Um, J.J., which direction do you want to go in next? I think we should go Cardinal shortstop. Cardinal shortstop. Should go a little bit more hardcore prospect yes. This is That was um, a rare. We don't usually go like that, but this is more of like... That was the, a rare hot takey kind of uh, podcast topic for us, but that's okay. Were you Stephen A. or were you uh, Bayless... Uh, uh, I'm not going to put that on either one of us. I, I, I was going to say, yeah. I, <laughs> I like us too much for that. Yeah. So I will also ask this a fantasy expansion draft question from Reggie and Beaumont. With Major League Baseball giving more and more signs, expansion could be five or six years away and protecting the career paths of top minor league and current MLB players. Who should, in theory, be around for the next five to seven years? So then if that's the case, who, who goes in your expansion draft? I think he's a little too... Far to look in the future on an expansion fantasy draft. Okay, wait, so, so he basically is saying who would be who would be available five to seven years from now. Kyle Funkhauser, for example, I think is who he's talking about. We but love do, to have a crystal ball here. But but I do but, want to talk expand. I do want to mention that yes. we wrote about expansion in last year's major league preview, and we were ahead of the curve. Uh, expansion's going to happen, Jeff. And I do think it should happen. 
Do you think that this thing in Fort Bragg is at all a kind of trial balloon for no. North Carolina? I don't think it is. No. It's not really related. Because you're not playing it. It gives you no usable data. For one, the interest in this game, a one-off game, tells you nothing. For two, it's in a location that the reality is, is they're not going to put a team there. And for three, the tickets aren't available in any to way public. to the public. So, so I, no. if you're going to put a team in, but North we, as much as we is, would love it in North Carolina. I do think North Carolina is toward the top of an expansion list. I don't think it's in the top two. And I really don't see how it would get in the top two as much as both of us have been impressed with Charlotte's ballpark, downtown Charlotte, and that Charlotte's a large market, um, one of the larger markets that doesn't have uh, but, Major League Baseball. I don't think it can support three sports either with the football and NBA teams it has. The, the real problem you have right now that, that keeps expansion from happening for a while is this is how baseball works. You've got a disastrous situation in Oakland. And it's funny, if you're listening to this, let me say, and I think John, I know John agrees with me too, baseball's in great shape. Right. We're not saying this from a standpoint of baseball is, is a dying sport or anything like that. That's one of those laughably dumb narratives <laughs> right. that you hear on a regular basis. But baseball is, is a soon-to-be $10 billion, Major League Baseball is a soon-to-be $10 billion industry that keeps growing. They're not having issues. That being said... Disastrous, I mean, no other way to put it, disastrous stadium situation in Oakland. Where, yes. Where in, in any game, you don't know when's the sewage going to start coming up through the clubhouse. And again. it's also got this whole um, unknowable, uncontrollable aspect of, uh, you know, within the NFL shifting franchises around. So we have St. Louis leaving to LA. Are the Raiders going to go to LA? Are the Chargers? We don't know. Right. So that, so one of the tenants in that stadium may be gone. Which they're or you know, so just we just don't so that stadium is in a ba- in bad shape and then you have Tampa. Tampa. That said, a lot of other expansions have happened in baseball when they've still had bad situations. If you find somebody who's going to put up, if you find two ownership groups and two markets to put up a lot of money, they'll expand even with these two problems. Yes, if only if if they have still another market to extort with. Right. They I need, mean, the reality they, is, they is they that really I, three, I use extort. They need three markets to make two and still have that one that for the you, threat of moving. You have to have something to threaten because, let's be honest, unless you're the San Francisco Giants, which are a model franchise in this way, most teams, nowadays, it's not even that you're going to get try to get a stadium built. It's you're going to try to figure out how to get a stadium built, really, in most cases, where the voters don't vote on it because they don't want... <laughs> we saw this with the NFL... You don't want voters voting on these stadiums because voters often are now the same things that worked 30 years ago where you say, hey, it's going to bring this many jobs and all right. that. People now go, no, wait, it's not. It's Because it, it's not. I mean, the reality is is a stadium is, a baseball stadium at least is used much more than when you say, hey, we're going to build a new football stadium that we'll use eight to ten times, times a year. A year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's better than that. But that being said, we're talking these stadiums are now, you know, massive, massive projects. The next stadium that's built, they're going to be a lot of retrospectives looking at the, the Marlins deal and how the city truly, truly lost out on that deal. You, you look at, you know. And was just lied to. Right. Afraid up, lied to. But, so, so, so you it, have to have it, three. So if it were to happen, what's your, I mean, it seems like Montreal is very likely, if baseball is going to expand in the next five years, I think Montreal is the most likely market. Which is amazing. It is amazing. That we're talking that way. And What's the next one? But now here's the thing I'll, I'll say with that. The, the one thing that I don't think has been approached enough on this is, is that nowadays, at least is how the game is in 2016, and we don't know what the game will be like in 2020 or 2025, but a Montreal or say it was a Charlotte mm-hmm. or a Las Vegas, whatever, it's not the same situation as it was if you were putting an expansion team in in 1992 or 93 or 94, where if you did that, if you put a team in Montreal, a new expansion team, basically at the time that you brought in the Rockies and the Marlins, that team would have started in a horribly... It shouldn't, but the reality is is that revenue-wise, it does seem like Montreal would not be one of the large revenue teams. Right. Well, in 92, 93, 94, in the 90s, that was potentially a disaster in some ways because... Right. Your revenue came from your local TV contract in large part. Not that that's not a still very significant part of the deal. And, hey, that's one of those I've been saying for 10 years. At yeah. some point, that's going to start going down because 
the way we're watching the way the we're watching is TV is changing, changing dramatically. But now there is so much revenue coming from ML, MLB, advanced media, all these things where you're not you're not put. There's more revenue sharing, all that where you could put a team in a market. I mean, like a Milwaukee now, right? And say they still have a shot where. It's better. They have a better shot now than they did 25 years ago. I still don't think Montreal would ever be like a big market club, no. but I do think they could be more viable now than um, they were when they were Montreal. They were when they were when the Expos were there. It's all going to come down to the right ownership group for any of these. Do you think it's more likely they would go Montreal, Mexico City? Do you think it's more likely they would? It feels like that's those are the two most likely scenarios. Some kind of internationalization like that. I mean, Monterey. Because I don't know what the most logical American market would be outside of a third team in the New York metro area, which is not likely to happen. Which would be a smart thing to do, but it's not going to happen. I mean, the the other one that gets thrown out is is, is maybe... You, know, you they, said Las Vegas. And I think Las Vegas is at least something that they would toy Ge- with the idea. Geographically, I would like to there be one more team in the West. I think really if you size it up geographically, it would be ideal if there were one more in the West. You could probably use one more in the Southeast. But I don't know that there's a logical home. I don't know that Charlotte's big enough, or Nashville, for example. Nashville, but I don't think is. I don't think I don't think it could quite do it. Um, but I I don't see logical. I but I don't see logical homes. So to wrap this up, I will say that Portland's another one that has been thrown out there. I don't think Portland gets it done baseball wise for me. <laughs> they had a Triple A team that's failed twice. Yep. Uh, turn their field into a soccer I, and stadium. I promise, you, I promise you in Portland, you're not getting a stadium referendum passed. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'll just wrap up by saying, so from 1977 to 1992, that was a 15, 16 seasons with no expansion. You had 77, the Mariners and, and Blue Jays start. And then you didn't have expansion again until 93. So then we haven't had expansion since 98. This is the longest time without expansion in the expansion era. In the expansion era. So it's just, just math, really. That there's going to be expansion and soon, the other part and the game makes so much more sense with 32 teams too. Makes more sense with 32 teams, and you have to say expansion. Conventional wisdom always is is that when the early in the expansion era, offenses take off because there's less pitching. That's right. And then eventually pitching catches up. Can we confidently say right now that we are in an era where pitching is caught the up? Pitching is I, caught I feel up. like we can say that. I agree. Let's wrap up JJ by talking a little more hardcore on the. Uh, on the St. Louis Cardinals, um, one of the I would say really the first big injury of spring training. I mean, there have been other injuries, but the first big injury is the only team that won 100 games last year. The first team to win 100 games since they won 100 games in 2011. The St. Louis Cardinals, National League Central reigning champions. Johnny Peralta goes down with a thumb injury that uh, they required surgery. He's going to be out two to three months. What would you do if you're in John Mosellock's shoes? First of all, besides calling Ian Desmond and saying, can you get out of that somehow? Is there some kind of loophole maybe? You don't want to be back in Texas. But their internal options appear to be Jed Jerko, who played some shortstop last year in San Diego. not a significant option to me. Um, Alednas Diaz, Cuban uh, expat, who was on the 40-man roster, then removed from the 40-man roster. Finished last year. On the 40-man roster. Finished last year in, in, in good shape. Not great shape, but he finished last year well. And then Greg Garcia, University of Hawaii, former double-play tandem partner of Colton Wong in college, could be again here in the big leagues. Which direction do you think they're going to go in, or do you think they're going to go externally and find some other help that way? I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're going to endure the entire extent of this injury. They may start the season, but I think you look at the central. It's touch and go enough. I mean, again, you're not saying there's no. There's no one player, especially Johnny Peralta is a good player, but Johnny Peralta is not Mike Trout. He's not Bryce Harper, where one guy is going to sink your, your, your team, anything. I mean, Greg Garcia could go out there and field the ball. This is a team that had Pete Cosma play extensively right. when they were good. Pete Cosma is cursing his timing. Daniel Descalso may be cursing his timing. But, now, although he may be the everyday shortstop in Colorado for part of this year. But that being said... I do think that they go out there and they make some sort of move. The tough thing about this, though, is is that you've got Peralta under contract for another year after this one. So if you go out and He's still a very productive player, although his offense was down a little bit last year, but he does have he still has power. He's still a productive hitter. He's not what I'm saying though is, is that like because of that, what that does mean though is is that if you make a trade 
are you really trying to trade for your long-term answer or are you trying to basically spackle over the next three months? And if you're trying to spackle over the next three months, that significantly changes what you're trading for. Ian Desmond still seems like the most logical candidate to me or Eric Ivar. Those are the two most logical right. ones from the standpoint of both of those are spackle because right. they're one. You're, you're only looking at those guys as a you know, one-year guy. As one-year guys. And then the reality is, is in either case, they're useful guys even after, I mean, both of those guys I think are better defensively than Peralta to where even if Peralta is your regular and Ibar moves around after that or Desmond moves around after right. that, they also can replace them defensively in late innings, things like that. I, I you know, but I mean, obviously if I'm the Braves, I, I would, I would be, you know, the yes. phone is available. Yeah, you know, if you want to. I think Johnny Coppola is on the phone with every team every day anyway, trying to get to sell Eric Ibar. The other intriguing possibility I've seen out there has been making some kind of trade with Tony La Russa because the Diamondbacks have Gene Segura, they have Nick Ahmed, they have Chris Owings. All three of those guys have varying degrees of value. Nick Ahmed probably fits best as an extra infielder. But a better term, def- a better defender than even Greg Garcia. Yeah, he's who, kind of like a, he's always well, kind of like to me. He's kind of like an Adam Everett kind of player. Mm-hmm. That's who Nick Ahmed. That's been my comp for Nick Ahmed since he came out of UConn. Is he could be an Adam Everett kind of guy where if he's your regular shortstop, you're counting on plus defense and reliable defense at that, and you're having to hit him seventh or eighth. You know, he's going to be a bomb of the lineup hitter, and really the upside for him offensively is low. Let me throw one other name out there that hasn't, I don't think, has been mentioned, but if Zach Cozart shows he's healthy, what, you know, what, again, Zach Cozart, not as a, right, this isn't a star type replacement, but, but a, a very solid placeholder in his career. He's been a reliable defender, he's been a defender, a short, starting shortstop on playoff teams. And you have the Reds who just took got Jose Peraza this offseason. Who are they playing some of, shortstop now, you right. know, in the in in spring training and all where you say, I mean, if you're the Reds, again, this has to be first that Cozart, who is playing, but you know I mean he's working to playing and all, but you need to demonstrate first he's healthy. You know, it, it should be healthy this year, but you, you need to demonstrate that. But that being said, if he does, I know that's an in-division trade, but the yeah. Reds aren't going for it this year, so right. that's not a... The in-house option, the best in-house option to me seems like Diaz. Uh, Diaz is the one who could give you both. Right. He is the one who potentially could be a first-division regular at shortstop. I don't think he's that good. The scouting reports that I had this year when we did them in the prospect handbook was that he can be a solid defender. Honestly, the defensive, sound, the defensive scouting report sounded kind of Johnny Peralta-esque. Not exceptional range, probably fringy range for a big league shortstop. It's definitely not plus. There was nothing plus for him defensively at shortstop. If he's a good shortstop defensively, it would be because he would be reliable. He would make the plays on the balls he can get to, and he would know well enough which ones he could make plays on and which ones he couldn't. Um, he is 25 years old. He'll be 26 in August. So you'd hope there's some maturity there. He definitely has more arm for shortstop than Greg Garcia. Garcia is very reliable, but it's a fringy arm. It's a second baseman's arm. It's stretched in extended takes at shortstop. And Jed Jorko is stretched in every single way. That said, I guess Jed Jorko played 10 games at shortstop last year and didn't make an error. So he was, he was Johnny reliable in his limited look at, for the Padres that last being year. Said, no one has ever, no scout, no. That have, you know, again. No, I, again, he's I, not a shortstop. He's not a shortstop. All this has gotten screwed up for me by Wilmer Flores being a World Series shortstop. Now, I was just about to say, what you, if I were the Cardinals, I'd put a Wilmer Flores highlight reel in front of Alan Diaz and say, they called this guy a 30 defender at shortstop and look at him. Now go be, be better. <laughs> Wilmer Flores. And let's, and also, let's face it. The Cardinals organization, we just wrote about it when we talked about top rookies and this guy. Nobody, no organization has a better track record of taking fringy defenders and coaching them up to be average or better. I'm looking at Matt Carpenter. I'm looking at John Jay. I'm looking all over the, the, the infield for the Cardinals for the last 15, 20 years. And they won a World Series with Dave Vexteen playing shortstop. So, Alemis Diaz probably doesn't have that level of savvy. He certainly has a better throwing arm than David Eckstein. So, it can be done. The other problem with Jerko is that he hasn't hit for two years. So for no. an offensive player, I guess it was 16 complete games at shortstop last year. He started 28 games at shortstop and made one error. 990 fielding. So I will throw that out there. I think he. I think between the three of them, JJ, if I were them, if the price is high for trying to acquire someone else that we talked about, these other options, 
I would try to make it through with my internal option right. because, like you said, Peralta's 34 going on 35, but he also is signed through next year. And until this year, he's been exceptionally durable. The last time he missed a lot of time was when he got suspended in the biogenesis case. The, the, the risk you run is, is that you, you can try, you can go out there and try to do with what you've got and kind of play it by ear. We'll re- reevaluate April 30th. We'll see how Peralta's return is coming. We'll see, you know, how we're doing. The tough thing about that, though, is, is that, again, in that division, right. if you wait too long, you may go, oh, so we're nine back. So how many? So if if uh, Addison Russell had a thumb injury and missed two to three months, who'd be first up for the Javier Cubs Baez. at shortstop? I would think it'd be Javier Baez. They would also have other options. I mean, they, they could, I suppose, try to go with Ben Zobrist even at his age no. for a short time. But Arizmendi Alcantara could go for a short time as well, shortstop. I mean, but yeah, they've got a. They again, this is the thing about the Cubs that does stand out so significantly is is that the Cardinals have a very good team. I mean, this is the, as you said. They had they won the most games in baseball in the regular season last year. Yep. That being said, the Cardinals have a number of positions where if one guy goes down, yeah, Johnny Peralta goes down, and it's like okay, there's not a great answer. I mean, right. if you if you are saying we're considering Jed Jorko, you don't have a great answer, right? If you look in their outfield, if they have an injury or two in the outfield, they don't have great answers. And they, they used to have ridiculous depth in the outfield. Right. I guess have, they have options at first base yes. because they're going to play Matt Holiday there right. some and Matt Adams. Because the fear, but the reality is, is then you could say that they have a little depth in the outfield, but I don't think that they're comfortable that if you put Matt Holiday in the outfield every day, right. that you're going to get 130 games out of them. I agree. And so that's why you don't have that option. Whereas with the Cubs, which again, we've talked about the insanity of their depth, but if if Aston Russell goes down, Javier Baez is a fine answer. If Ben Zobris goes down, Javier Baez is a fine answer. Right. If Chris Bryant goes down, Javier Baez is a fine answer. <laughs> If Jason Hayward goes down, Jorge Soler is a fine answer. If Kyle Schwarber goes down, Jorge Soler is a fine answer. If Dexter Fowler goes down, you move Hayward to center, and Jorge Soler is a fine answer. You got, they have, if you have questions, they generally have answers. If Anthony Rizzo goes down, Chris Bryant moves to first, Javier Baez plays third. The real question for them is pitching depth is the only real mm-hmm. question that you have in Chicago. And so. I'd say their bullpen, I think, is going to be... Oh, it has ridiculous depth. It has outstanding depth. Now, it doesn't have... This isn't. We're not talking about Chapman, Miller, and Batances. We're not talking where, about Hochaver in the sixth, right. or Whatever. But we are talking about that they will be able to say, "Well, this guy's just as good as this guy." And Joe Madden has been a guy over the years who, well, this guy, you know, JP Howe's good right now. Then JP Howe will be good for us. JJ, you know, I, I'll ride the hot hand. I think we we I think the uh, office. I don't know if it was unanimous, but I think we all picked the Cubs to uh, win the National League this year. And I think our official Baseball America pick in our Major League preview issue was Cubs to win the World Series. I don't think that's ever happened in our office before. So let's wrap up with this question from Raj61, Roger Munter, another longtime BA podcast listener and a follower on Twitter. Are the Dodgers putting too much pressure on Corey Seager, JJ? Middle of the order bat and everyday shortstop for a World Series or bust team. Do you feel there's too much pressure on Corey Seager? I guess I would say... I don't know about too much, but they put an awful lot of pressure on him last year, and he wasn't even rookie. He was still rookie eligible for this year. I was going to say, I, how is that more pressure than batting three hole in a playoff game? I I, I don't think so. I, I that that would be my answer is is that when you have a guy, I mean, was it putting too much pressure on Carlos Correa last year when you turn around in the playoffs and realize, and I know he did have an error, you know that that hurt them, but he was already he's their best player, right? I mean, right. when talent is talent and. When you have a guy who has the chance, what what would be the other option? Like, I mean, if you have Corey Seager, who has already had a chance to get settled in a little bit to the big league level, right. he's played in the playoffs, you don't really want a plan B. You don't need a plan B. Your plan B is if he gets hurt, we better have someone ready to play. But you're not saying, okay, well, we're going to send Jimmy Rollins out there and we'll ease <laughs> right. Seager in. You don't want to do that at this point because... He's already had his chance to acclimate. And to me, at this point, you just say, I mean, it's funny, but we say these things, and again, I'm not picking on Roger here in any way, but do remember, last April, there was all this talk out of Cleveland. You heard these little stories, and I'm sure it was a little bit was trying to inspire Francisco Lindor, but it's like, the Indians say that Jose Ramirez, oh, they're yeah. fine. You know, maybe Jose Ramirez is their long-term answer. Right. And we look at that now, and we just go, yeah, right. You know, it's one of those things where when you have a guy who is, Corey Seager is easily their best option at shortstop. 
You look at their lineup and say, Corey Seager should be one of the best hitters in that lineup as a rookie. Well, then you give him a chance to do that. I mean, and again, if he gets off to a slow start, it's not like you can't move him down the six hole. But yeah, he's going to be that guy. And I, that's my thought is, is when you have the chance to have that guy, you give him the opportunity. Yeah, for me, uh, nobody should know Corey Seager more than the Dodgers. They drafted him. I know they've changed front offices and all that kind of thing, but uh, now they've changed managers. But uh, Dave Roberts is around him every day now in spring training. And if he doesn't think he's up to it, he's not going to hit him third. You know, So, Corey, one of the things that makes the Seager brothers the Seager brothers is it doesn't seem like the game ever speeds up on those guys or ever gets too big. Uh, it's a baseball family, and uh, I've always said – I just see Corey Seager as a bigger, better version of his older brother, and his older brother's a $100 million player, you know? Um, so I I think Corey Seager's up to it. I think we all think he's up to it. That's why we have him as our number one prospect uh, going in. That's why he's in the cover of the prospect handbook. Um, but it, it's uh, I, I do think it's amazing that for all the money the Dodgers have spent, that he is their three-hole hitter. That does surprise me. For, and they really don't have that I can think of, a big who, who's their big right-handed bat? It's a very left-handed lineup. Puig, mm-hmm. who is not exactly reliable, is their big right-handed bat. So you'd probably like, if you were the Dodgers, you'd probably like to have one more big right-handed bat. Otherwise, that's why Scott Van Slyke, I think, plays so much for them. But like Justin Turner is your other big right-handed bat. Ideally, you'd love to have, I think, Seager could hit two-hole. You could have a, a Puig, if he's going to be good Puig, hit three-hole, Adrian Gonzalez at four hole, and you can mix and match that way. That might be the ideal way going forward. But uh, Adrian Gonzalez, very consistent big leaguer. Corey Seager, I think we both think he's going to be a very consistent big leaguer. I'd love to see Yasiel Puig be consistent. The tools are so amazing. I'd love to see him be healthy, dedicated, have fun, but also a little maturity added to the game to keep him in the lineup for 150 games and be a more consistent player. That's where the Dodgers. Uh, I still think Puig is really their most important player, not Seager. And to me, the interesting thing with them is is that they are a team that is more depth than... I mean, they have stars, but they are very much... is It's that approach of... Corey Seager's shortstop is really about the one position I can think where if they had an injury, I don't really feel like and, they have a great... Enrique Hernandez and Red Turner are there listed as their backups. Uh, and again, and I don't Red's think not Ted, good. I don't Red think Turner's shortstop. I mean, it would be maybe you get the return of. Uh, He's as the, much of a shortstop as Jed Jerko. Yeah, of Aru Arbuena. You know, I mean, like. That's right. He can, he, can, he, can, he can still pick it. Arisbel Aru Arbuena could be a factor there. Good stuff, I'll Jay. be honest. If, you had, if, you, if, if Arbuena played for the Cardinals right now, he'd be in the mix that we, we'd be considering. If you're looking for a cheap pickup in St. Louis, uh, he's available. Uh, he may not be the greatest makeup guy in the world, no. but he's he'll, pretty good on defense. He's available. Absolutely. So. Hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed it as well. Thanks to SeatGeek. We enjoy having them as part of the Baseball America podcast. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you back here next Thursday on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.